0: I run masterminds. I spent a lot of money being a part of other people's masterminds. And I think that is the secret sauce to really catapulting your success and fast-forwarding what you can accomplish in business and life.
1: Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, quite yet then mark can look at what you've the deal you've got and assuming it checks out he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal so debt equity and potentially loan guarantors uh, all you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, but besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Tim Brotz, how you doing, Tim? Doing great, Joe.
0: Appreciate you having me, brother.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Tim. He buys, develops, and holds apartment buildings, vacation rentals, and other commercial real estate. He bought an investment property with his credit card at 23 and nine years later has a portfolio value of over 90 million buckaroos based in Cleveland, Ohio. So with that being said, Tim, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Well, thanks again for having me here. Excited to be on the show and you're doing an awesome job providing a lot of content and value for people. So appreciate appreciate everything you do. My background, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio originally and was going through college when the market was booming, 03 to 07. And uh, people said, if you want to make money, get involved in real estate and That's what motivated a 21, 22-year-old kid back then, and I decided to get involved. So my brother was living in New York at the time. I ended up moving out there after college, and I was a commercial leasing agent for a small boutique firm in Manhattan and brokered a deal on a 400-square-foot retail space in the Greenwich Village area. And for 400 square feet, the tenant was paying $10,000 a month, 4% escalation over 12 years. And I'm doing the math on this thing. And it was the first deal I ever brokered. And I'm like, this dude's going to collect almost $2 million over the next 12 years for something he did one point in time. And that doesn't include the other seven retail spaces and 15 stories of apartments above it. Mm-hmm. So man, I'm on the wrong side of the coin. I need to be owning real estate instead of brokering this stuff. So I ended up leaving New York, moved down to Charleston, South Carolina, just on a whim and didn't have a lot of capital or access to capital, but I was resourceful. Have you ever heard of the Tony Robbins saying resourcefulness is the ultimate resource. doesn't matter if you don't have the time or the money or the knowledge. If you're resourceful, you can figure it out. So I was able to figure it out. I called up my credit card company, asked them for a big increase on my credit card, and they didn't give it to me, but they did give me $15,000. I asked for a hundred, and they said no, and got them to give me 15 Gs, and I bought the cheapest house on the entire MLS in 2009. Nine years ago, this month, and uh, fix it all up. Didn't know what I was doing. I'm, I'm YouTubing stuff, trying to figure out how to change out carpet and fixtures. And I'm doing all the painting myself, landscaping, and ended up turning it around, selling it because I created flyers, handed them out to all the neighbors, held an open house, sold it to one of the neighbors, and made about $14,000 net income in 75 days. And I'm That's a, huge. I'm a punk 23 year old kid in the worst housing market in 80 years and making money. So you do it again, then you start meeting people with some money who, have capital, but they don't have the time. And man, I partnered up with some people who I gave 50 to 70% of the deal to. Probably the first 200, 250 deals that I did. But I realized as a young kid, I needed to build up that resume. I needed to get some deals under my belt. So kept doing it. And eventually those partnerships kind of withered away. We went our separate ways. and I've been doing my own thing for the past 36 months now. And man, I've been just in acquisition mode and buying and building apartments and townhouse developments in Ohio, South Carolina, Georgia, Texas, and I uh, own a couple of vacation rentals in Florida too. So, a little over thirteen hundred units, with another probably two two hundred fifty under contract right now. So, hoping to be at like eighteen hundred to two thousand by the
1: end of the year. Wow, what a story! And we will unpack that. That's for sure. I'm, I'm <laughs> Try lo- to go I'm, quick, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's good to get high level, and we'll go into the weeds a little bit. The thirteen hundred units that you have now, I believe, if I was following correctly, that you do not have partners in those deals. Is that accurate? I have some joint
0: venture partners on my stuff that's out of town. Okay. And then I don't traditionally syndicate the way most traditional syndicators put together where they're giving up 70, 80% of the equity. I keep over 90% of the equity for myself and the joint venture partners. And I pay kind of a debt equity hybrid to my private lenders that they really like it leaves a little bit more equity in it for me and a joint venture partner. And we can kind of focus on our unique abilities that way. So any stuff that I have out of state, yeah, I have a joint venture partner who's got some equity in the deal and and that's the only way that they're compensated is based on the performance of the property. Mm -hmm. And then as a kicker to my investors, I always give them a little bit of equity long-term in the deal too. Mm -hmm.
1: With the joint venture partners and the deals that are out of state, it sounds like their role is solely to provide some capital or do they have other responsibilities?
0: No, my stuff down in Georgia, I have a joint venture operator. So he's somebody who knows construction, can find some smoking deals down there and oversee the renovations, oversee the value add process on these things and deal with the contractors. And then if shit hits a fan, he can step in and handle like the ongoing management long term and he's putting his eyes on the property just making sure that it's run properly once it is stabilized too so it's a way that i've been able to grow my business without having to take on more overhead and more staff you know i think mm-hmm. a lot of us that start out as solo entrepreneurs we get into it because we like the idea of doing the business and then all of a sudden you start hiring people you realize the value in human capital but then you also realize all the headaches in having staff and employees and, and having to deal with human resources. And so I've gone through that and built one of the largest property management companies, residential property management companies in Cleveland. You know, so I had a bunch of staff there and then some staff in my, my investment company. And now I'd rather run a lean, mean type of business where we can joint venture with people, help other people who maybe don't have as much experience in investments and, and apartment buildings, but they got a good work ethic. I can raise the money, I can bring my balance sheet and get the loans, I can mentor and coach through the whole process, and it's a way that I can do more deals, and instead of having 100% of a grape, I can have 25% of a watermelon. Make sense?
1: Yeah. There's a lot makes... more
0: squeezing
1: 25% of a watermelon than there is in 100% of a grape. I imagine the challenge that you've come across with that approach is making sure that all the projects that you're working on, the partners are doing their share of what was agreed upon and just making sure there are checks and balances. So how do you navigate that? I have obviously run across issues with that in the past. And it's all about expectation setting.
0: So the way that we do it is because I'm raising the capital, or bringing my own money and I'm signing on the loans. Typically, the money controls the deal. I know both the operational aspect and the financial business aspect of the business. So typically, I'm able to control the deal. It's my attorney putting all the paperwork together. It's my mortgage broker getting the financing. It's my insurance agent ensuring that all that's taken care of. And then my staff here in Cleveland, I have a COO. i have a director of acquisitions. I have a director of project management. And I have a director of asset management. So that's my entire investment team now. And my acquisitions guys underwriting the deals, making sure that they meet our buying criteria. And then when it's time to go through the project management phase, my project manager is working with our local joint venture partner, ensuring that they know what the full scope of work is. They're getting quotes. We're sharing a lot of our national suppliers and vendors and contractors. So they're handling all that stuff. And then he's checking on them on a regular basis, making sure everything's on budget, everything's on time. And you can manage this stuff as long as you have the right KPIs in place, key performance indicators. So, with a two minute phone call every single morning, you would say, hey, where are we on budget? Where are we on time frame? What does the occupancy look like? All that stuff can all be done in a couple minute phone call, and numbers don't lie. So, we're able to know what the expectations are, set very clear expectations, and our joint venture partners earn more equity. As the project progresses. So, the way the operating agreement's drafted, maybe they start out with 5% equity. And as they get further and further along, they earn more equity in the deal. And we do it that way. So, that way, there's no sour feelings or anything like that that come in from somebody not doing their job or us having to step in and kick the table and be like, what the hell's going on here? And then get into a lawsuit or anything like that. So, that's typically what we do. And then my asset management director, he's constantly just reviewing statements, checking. On the owner portals for all of our properties, and we run the property management remotely through our property management company up here in Cleveland. So we might have an on-site person to handle open houses and showings, and make sure that the place is clean and the grass is cut, and there's no trash or litter anywhere. But we can handle everything else remotely. That's a cool thing about being able to have internet and phone. We can market the properties remotely. We can take rental applications remotely. We can screen tenants remotely. We can sign leases remotely. We can collect all rents remotely. All bills are paid remotely. And that entire process of maintenance is all done remotely. They can call into the 800 line. So we have a good management software and a good team and process in place where majority of kind of the business aspect, things that maybe most operators aren't really that good at, we can take all that off their plate. And then the local operator can just focus on, again, their unique ability, which is maybe managing the property or managing the contractors and finding good deals.
1: With the joint venture partners that earn more equity as the project progresses, can you elaborate on the mechanics for how that works? Yes, there's a lot of moving parts in commercial real estate.
0: So somebody needs to find the deal, Somebody needs to put up all the money for earnest money, due diligence, the loan application. That's worth something. Somebody needs to go through the whole due diligence process and underwrite the entire deal. Somebody needs to get the loan. Somebody needs to raise all the private capital for it, all the equity. Then once we close on the property, somebody needs to oversee the contractors and the value add. That could be a couple months. That could be two years, depending on how heavy of a lift of a renovation it is. Somebody then has to handle the ongoing management. If I'm stepping in and working with a newbie, there's a cost of me mentoring and and a time spent on that. Like that's worth something to the deal too. So I'm pretty a la carte with a lot of my joint venture partners and whatever they need me for, I'll come in for. If they don't need me, then I don't need to be a part of that and I can take a little bit less equity. So we split it up in a way that if I'm taking a lot of the financial risk, then I control the LLC the operating entity. And then as they prove themselves and as we get the property stabilized and then we get it refinanced and put maybe some non-recourse debt in place and I get all my money back and my investors get all their money back, then there's a lot less risk in it than for me. And we have a stabilized asset with non-recourse loan in place. So then I don't need as much equity and we can keep on growing the joint venture operator's equity. So it's a cool way that we've been able to kind of, again, grow without growing internally, but still be able to grow our influence in our portfolio.
1: You mentioned earlier that in the past, you've had some issues with partners. Can you give a specific example of one thing that happened?
0: Yeah. Partnerships are tough. I run some masterminds and just do some local stuff with business owners. And usually one of the biggest struggles is partnerships or somebody not pulling their weight and just kind of leeching from the partnership. I mean, hey, partnerships are tough enough when things are going good and then obviously they go bad and God forbid they go really good. And then, then there's even more problems because money can make people ugly. So the first one that comes to mind is I had a joint venture partner who put up a lot of cash. They had a successful business. They put up some how cash. How much in, cash? About $1.3 million. Okay. Over the course of about 18 months in different projects. And over the course of about 36 months, I turned that into about three, $3 $3.5 million worth of property. And I just kept on rolling up, buy an eight unit, get a 14 unit flip that one over get a 23 unit, turn it into a 31 unit. And then we got to a point where we were going to go buy a hundred unit apartment complex and a B plus, A minus kind of an area we got it for a song. And it was the point where now it's time to go get financing. And everything checked out on me. I had good credit, not a lot of assets at the time, but most of it was in this partnership was what my net worth was. And when they underwrote my business partner, he had some issues, gotten some trouble when he was in his twenties and he was 40 something at the time. So about 15 years prior, he got caught taking drugs over the Canadian American border. And because of it, he had all these money laundering charges and income tax liens and property tax liens. And there's no chance he would ever get financing. So that was never disclosed to me. I didn't realize that that was the case. And now all of a sudden, I'm responsible for bringing the money, getting the financing, getting the loans, and then doing all the work as well. And it changed the balance of who was responsible for what and who should be compensated for what. And it kind of got into a pissing match where he thought he was still entitled to 67 70% that he was getting. I thought I was entitled to more than 33% if I was going to take on that additional risk and 100% of the liability on that. And we just couldn't come to agreement. So we had to liquidate about 200 some units right around there.
1: Wow. You liquidated the units and then you did not go through with the transaction with someone else. Man. Yeah. Lost it. And (laughs) I think it would be probably worth double today.
0: And this was early 2016, late 2015 Mm -hmm. that happened. So it was just shy of 36 months ago. Do
1: you have any earnest money that was non-refundable that you lost or anything? Uh, like that?
0: we had $100,000 of earnest money. It was refundable, but here's the thing. When you have $100,000 of earnest money up and you've gone through the due diligence period, even though you're able to take that money back off the table and say, hey, listen, we can't move forward. Sometimes the seller puts you in a headlock. Now they know that they got your nuts in a vice and <laughs> they can kind of dictate things. So when I went back to the seller and said, hey, listen, we can't move forward on this. We can't get this loan. The seller's like, well, you know, I spent some time with my assistant on this, and they spent uh, quite a bit of time getting all the due diligence together for you. And, and I had to pay my accountant to pull some of the records, and my attorney had to review this. And I had some costs, and of that $100,000, I think I'm entitled to $20,000 of it. So I'm like, what? Are you out of your friggin' mind? And we went back and forth. I got so pissed that I just put my attorney in charge of it. I'm like, dude, just get me as much of it back as you can because I was then going through the partnership dissolution. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he ended up getting me $98,000 back, but they still kept two grand. And that's the risk you take when you're putting up the earnest money.
1: Wow. You are fighting battles on multiple. Yeah.
0: And it's stressful. Sometimes you can't see outside of that situation. That was a pretty dark, difficult period of my life where I don't know what I'm going to do. All my equity is in this deal. These guys might try to burn me and this and that. And all my net worth is in these projects. I guess I was like 29, 30 at the time I had, my wife was pregnant with our first kid. You know, <laughs> We're going through all this stuff and I'm trying to figure out like, what's the next step? What you know, Where am I going in life? And real stressful. Sometimes you can't see outside the box that you're in when you're in some of those tough situations. But fortunately, I had some good mentors that kind of walked me through it, who had been through that. And that's one of the big values in being in part of masterminds and hanging out in groups of successful entrepreneurs, people who've been there and been through these kinds of situations. They're able to take an objective look at, what's going on in your situation. Say, Hey man, I know you already know what you need to do, but here's me validating it by telling you what I did in that situation, what got me out of it and really helped out being part of a mastermind of some people who kind of guided me through that process.
1: What mastermind was it that you're a part of during this process that helped you out? Something called
0: dealmaker family. Mark Evans runs it. I know you talked to Ray Gonzalez. I know he was on your show and I think a couple of the other guys. So Good group, Joe Evangelisti's in there and a couple big influencers on social media are in that group and big supporters, good friends of mine and we're like brothers, a lot of those guys. So that's an awesome group. I'm also in Collective Genius with Jason Medley and a bunch of high performing single family investors. And then uh, I know Rod Khalif, he's got a multifamily boardroom and then I have my own called Advisors Council that we do. It's me, Lee Carney and Francis Ablola, Dolmar Cross and a couple other people that we do some high level stuff as well. So I run masterminds. I spend a lot of money being a part of other people's masterminds. And I think that is the secret sauce to really catapulting your success and fast forwarding what you can accomplish in business and
1: life. You mentioned you spent a lot of money in masterminds. Over the course of 12 months, how much will you invest in a mastermind or across the board in all of them? Not including the travel
0: I probably spent about $75,000. So if you include the travel and airlines and all that other stuff, you're probably looking at 85, 90, almost a hundred grand.
1: And how do you determine the ROI for that investment of about a hundred thousand dollars?
0: Well, I remember my first mastermind that I joined, which was the dealmaker family with Mark Evans. I was a solo entrepreneur and they gave me two pieces of advice in that. And one was to join the mastermind and two was to hire an assistant and get all the small stuff off my plate. And although I knew I needed an assistant, when you're a solo entrepreneur, you have no idea what that looks like. How do I pay them? What do I pay them? How do I give them tasks, responsibilities? How do I make sure they're doing those jobs? What happens if it doesn't work out? All these fears that set in, and it kind of just walked me through it. Hey, instead of paying somebody, it's not $30,000 that you're risking here. You're risking $2,500 a month. So if it doesn't work in 30 days, then you fire the person, and it was a $2,500 learning Opportunity versus a $30,000. So, just by tweaking my thoughts a little bit like that, I made that higher and then I did a deal with actually Mark and a couple other guys. And I made $300,000 just in deals that I did with people in that mastermind that first 10 months that I was involved in it. So, that was an easy ROI. I spent $30,000 on that mastermind and I got a, a 10 times return on investment from it. So, a lot of times it's deal flow, sometimes it's raising private money, sometimes it's not even quantifiable. I went to one event and the guy was talking about relationships and dating your wife and setting priorities and having a marriage centric household versus a child centric household. And that changed a lot for me and my wife in our marriage and it's gotten a lot better and you can't quantify that. So there's other things that maybe don't have the metrics that you could
1: measure, but have made significant impacts, not only in business, but in life. I love that phrase, dating your wife. My wife's pregnant right now, she's due in a couple months. We have a baby girl, so the having a marriage centric versus a kid centric, I don't quite comprehend yet, but I'm sure I'm yeah, sure I'm I will. And, thing, about- and I got a three year old and a one year old, and I know you got a
0: couple little ones, so well,
1: yeah, I got one. Th- yeah, it's really but-
0: tough in this phase, but you got to do it. You got to date your wife. You got to take her out and still court her and get her flowers and do fun stuff and not forget that you guys were together before the kids came along. And just recycling my thought process on that has made a big impact on our marriage and our family and our household. And because I show up more in marriage, she shows up more too, and allows me to then be more successful in business because now I'm not stressed out about what's
1: happening up at home, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, makes complete sense. I'm jumping around from something you said earlier and then I'll ask you the money question I ask everyone. But on the KPI call, you said you could have a two-minute call where you go over the budget, the time frame, the occupancy. What are some other things that you or your team member goes over on that call?
0: It's usually the occupancy rate, what the unit turn time frame looks like. How long is it taking for us to turn units? Standard people say, Hey, listen, we want to turn a unit in a week, or we want to turn a unit in 30 days or whatever that looks like. Me, I set such a high bar that that's unacceptable to me. My goal in owning my rental property is to have 100% of the rent paid 365 days a year. Okay, like, hey, Tim, how the hell would you accomplish that? What about tenants moving out, tenants moving in? Our leasing starts 90 days in advance. We'll go and contact the tenant 90 days prior to their lease renewal and say, Hey, Mr. Jones, you plan on sticking around? We'd love to sign a new lease for another 12 months with you. Oh, you know what? I'm moving to California. My son's having a daughter in a few months and I need to go out there and spend some time and I want to be by the grandkids. Hey, sounds great. I know your lease is up at the end of October. I'll tell you what, do you mind if we just come through and just take some notes on some improvements that we want to make to the unit for once you do leave? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Great. We're going to send a property manager through next week. So we're having this conversation and then we go in, we take notes on everything that needs to be turned. We're ordering the supplies 60 days out. And then we'll even have a conversation with Mrs. Jones says, Mrs. Jones, I know you're moving out at the end of October, but the supplies came in early. Do you mind if we just come in and kind of make some improvements to your unit while you're living there and maybe give you a new kitchen or a new bathroom, even though you're moving out, but you'll be able to utilize it for the last couple of months of your lease. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Okay, great. So then we'll go in, we'll actually do the improvements and turn the unit while the tenant's living there. And then we'll give them a discount or guarantee that they'll get all their security deposit back if they use our cleaning company to have it professionally cleaned. So instead of spending seven or 20 days to turn a unit, we're able to go in, they move out on October 21st, we're able to go in and turn the unit in literally a couple hours. We walk through, do the checklist, maybe there's some punch list items and we're marketing the unit the whole time so we have a waiting list of tenants so that way we can move somebody in on October 21st and Mrs. Jones paid till October 31st she doesn't expect any of that money back and we can double dip on rent for 10 days. So we actually collected rent 375 days of that year. So that's the expectation that I set with my team and if they fall from that a little bit, that's okay because we're still at 100% occupancy. So doing things like that and making sure that how many lease renewals do we have coming up, how many people have you contacted, asking about those kinds of KPIs, what percentage has been paid out to the contractors versus what percentage of work has been done and looking at that, we have timelines that are quantifiable on the front end for every line item on the scope of work for doing these renovations. So we're looking at a lot of those things. I don't try not to overcomplicate it, but there's usually two to four KPIs per individual that we're looking at. That'll give us a good indication of, are we grown or are we dying? Are we
1: ripening or are we rottening? I'm glad I asked that question. What is your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: I'd say join Mastermind it took me nine years to do. I think if you join a mastermind, you surround yourself with the right people. Now you're gonna have to pay. I pay $35,000 for one mastermind, another $30,000 for another mastermind, another $20,000 for another one, 1500 for another one. So I guess I'm closer to like 90000 So yeah, I'm definitely over $100,000 a year. I don't think you need to join that many. I think you join one and soak it up, create a lot of relationships. It's tough being an entrepreneur. Sometimes it can be lonely and you can't have high level conversations or when you're Talking in dollars and decimals, some people get offended by that. That you grew up with. It's different hanging out with people with a common past versus hanging out with people with a common future. It's kind of tough to think that way because these are people that you love that you grew up with. But the reality is, life's a train ride, and some people are only on for a couple of stops. And they're not meant to be on for the entire train ride as much as you love them and as much you want to support them. Sometimes they're just going in a different direction and have a different destination than you. So it's surround yourself with people with a common future, not just a common past. And I think doing a mastermind that has a significant investment, kind of weeds out some of the lower mindsets and thinkers out there. So I think you can really fast track success if you get involved in the mastermind.
1: We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? All right, brother, let's do it. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212 897 9875. That's 212 897 9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com. Best ever book you've read recently? Twelve Pillars. Best ever deal you've done? Uh, I just took down seven hundred thirty-unit
0: portfolio in Georgia, and I'm all into it for twenty-four million. It'll appraise for around almost forty-five million, probably forty-three million dollars when it's all said and done. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? paying the contractor, letting the contractor get ahead of the money. Best ever way you like to give back. I bought a suite for the Cavs conference finals this past season because I'm in Cleveland and put something on Facebook. And I said, hey, who's a family that deserves to go to this Cavs suite? And I gave away four tickets to five different families who had faced a lot of adversity, not only overcame it, but also paid it forward, started a nonprofit to help out kids with congenital heart defects, or they're going out and speaking on behalf of organ transplants because the one girl's sister passed away and they saved four lives from an organ transplant. And so I like doing stuff where I'm connected with the people I'm giving to. Best ever
1: way the best ever listeners can learn more about what you got going on and get in touch with you.
0: Hit me on my Facebook. Tim Bratz, And I'm sure you'll tag me, Joe, and hit me up on there at clevelandturnkey.com. C-L-E-T-U-R-N-K-E-Y.com is my website. Happy to send some inquiries to me there and happy to connect with anybody. So dude, appreciate you having me, brother.
1: Yeah, really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. A lot of valuable information from partnerships, how to structure them, what to look out for, an example of a partnership that didn't go according to plan, how you handled that, masterminds, the importance of them, and the ways to do asset management questions you go through. And then also your approach on unit turns was really interesting. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com.